You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. That's what we're going for. We're going for rootedness, and we're going for enoughness. That's the title of my talk today, enoughness. And it's what I'm going to be reflecting on for the next few weeks. What, what is enough, and how is Jesus enough? I'm going to get eventually to one of my ideas for how to experience that, which is seeing the world differently and telling our story differently. But let me start with the 80s, because that's where my roots are. What was your favorite breakfast cereal in the 80s if you were alive then? Call them out. Lucky Charms, classic. Alphabets. How about one that like doesn't exist anymore, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal? Alphabets. Alphabets doesn't exist anymore? Oh, that's a travesty. Booberry. Booberry. Count Chocula. Yes, yes. Honeycomb. Honeycomb might still exist, but yeah, that that feels like 1987. Um, I am the youngest of four brothers, and in order to make sure that the locusts of her household did not devour everything immediately after it came home from the grocery store. My mother had one rule about food, and it was very effective. The children do not open anything. The children do not open a box. The children do not open a bottle. The children do not open a bag. The children do not open any container of food, not even like leftovers in their refrigerator, okay? Mom is in charge. Mom has a plan, and if you... If you mess up her plan, she will be very upset. And you know, most of the plan is you're going to eat that for cereal tomorrow. Okay? That's her plan. But sometimes there were other things that, no, 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 that's special. Like, everything was bought with a purpose. She was very on lock with the grocery shopping. Because she had four, four children and not a whole lot of money, and this is how they survived. But cereal was the thing that was, almost, that was the, the most passing of luxuries in our household. I mean, of course, there were Cheerios and like, uh, oh, and never eat the grape nuts. Those are only moms, okay? And they were always in there, and I developed a taste for them when I was in middle school, which was a mistake. Anyway, we put, you know, once a box was open, once a box was open, it didn't last for very long because that was the rule. It's funny how rules kind of have this limitation, and then they have also the, the outcome of them is the the complete eradication, like, okay, if you're going to make us wait, we are eating this whole box of Lucky Charms <laughs> right now. So never wanted to miss a, uh, a box opening because you might miss out on all of its contents. The result of this upbringing under my mom's watchful care was that there was rarely not enough. You know, we were, she, she had a plan and she executed it well so that we didn't go hungry even though we didn't have a whole lot of money. But despite having enough all of the time, there was this uh, surging sense of urgency about whether there would be enough for the good stuff. So I have a sense now of when there's any good stuff, and I buy it all now, (laughs) I get to open boxes like it's my job. Uh, Gwyneth does not have this rule for me. She probably should. <laughs> because when stuff comes from the grocery store, I take, I take you know, I, I want all the good stuff, all the things that I love. Right now, it's uh, 
Ritz crackers. Mm. Mm. I would just eat like three of those sleeves. <laughs> because my brothers might be here to get it. <laughs> Watch out, Joel is coming. <laughs> um, so I have, I'm, I'm, t I'm telling you the story because it, it, it illustrates uh, some of my roots in, in dealing with what is enough. And we all have a story that dictates our thoughts and feelings and behaviors about our relationship with enough. You know, this has to do, this, this sense of enough has to do with food, but it also has to do with sex, money, entertainment, and other pleasures. What is enough? Some of you all know that I speak Spanish. Um, I was getting, getting a, a Jess earlier to say corazón, but she took Spanish from a, a Castilian, like from Spain, and she wanted to say corazón. And that, they, that's a little tidbit about Spanish. Here's some more tidbit. Um, in Spanish, the, the direct translation of the word enough is bastante. Say it with me, bastante. Bastante. Um, and bastante actually is, has a root word in, in just a verb. It, it's an adverb. And ante in Spanish, okay, I'm going too deep, but ante, that, that ending is like our L-Y. So bastante is kind of like saying enoughly. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's rooted in a verb, which is basta, bastar, which means to suffice or to be enough. So, um, you know, the coffee can enough me, you know? It's more of an active sense of how the language works. And I really like this because enough, especially, you know, with my relationship with food that I got from that kind of matrix of, of uh, growing up stuff, you know, it has this sense of judgment to it. The word enough speaks limitation to me, speaks layoff, you know, it's like enough. And, you know, it, 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 it's antagonistic, and I, and, I, and I have a lot of uh, guilt or even shame tied up in the word enough. So if Jesus is going to be enough, um, or what is enough, that question kind of gets me in a squirmy place. Does anyone else feel that way with enough? You know, we, we live in the United States. I hope that you're squirming with enough, because we live on the, the, the top of a global system of of sharing or not sharing that at least leads us to have some preoccupations, I hope, about what is enough. But anyways, basta. I like this. You could say it in Spanish like that too. Basta. You know, basta. Con el racismo. You know, enough with racism. Basta. A lot of protesters will say basta on their signs. Um, but it, in, uh, I, I like what, it, what, what the translation for Matthew 6.34 does with it. Uh, Matthew 6.34, I actually put in my yearbook as my quote, um, which is, do, do not worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough trouble of its own. It's kind of a description of the day, enough trouble. There's enough trouble, you know? And I'm making a big point about this, but I really like the directly active way that Spanish does it, because you could say, no se preocupen por el día de mañana, porque mañana habrá tiempo para preocuparse. Basta cada día su propio mal. Each day enoughs it its own evil. It enoughs it. And I like that active sense, um, because it gets us out of evaluation mode. And I think that's key for Jesus being enough for us is we got to get out of 
evaluation mode. Because when I ask, what is enough? I certainly go to, am I enough? And then I'm talking to G, are you enough? What have you done for me lately? I'm not so sure about you. You know, we get into this evaluative mode with God and he's no longer the underlying source of enoughness for the universe. He doesn't enough as his mode of being. He isn't enoughness itself. Just wondering if he is right now. You gonna be enough? You gonna do it for me? You gonna give me my pleasure? Can I get some cereal, mom? We have that, all those relationships with, with it. And I like, I like the active sense because it gets it out of the evaluation. Sorry, if, if that like linguistic grammatical thing didn't make much sense to you, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Um, when, you know, but, but actually I'm not moving on because I wanna, I wanna retranslate, I, li I like this. I'm just saying, what if, what if we could do this in English? Because in Ephesians 3, as I was having us pray earlier, maybe rooted and established in love, um, here's my retranslation if we could do it the way I want to I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and deep and, and high and, and long is the love of God in Christ Jesus and to know this love which surpasses all understanding that you may be enoughed with the enoughness of God you may, I love that phrase it, it's already weird enough in the original translation that I read you may be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Do you feel that like that abundance there? What is the filled to the measure of the fullness of like where's the line? You know, what what unit of measure are you even using? You know, you're overflowing because God is overflowing. You are you are in overflow mode is what it's talking about. It's a reality that underlies everything and even belies evaluation. Because you can look this gift horse in the mouth and you can find lots of things in your life that don't feel like enough. Now, I can't get around that. Many of us have, didn't have the kind of childhood that I had where there was enough. You know, I, I have a fairly secure reminiscence of food in my household. Not everyone has that. So enough, if Jesus is enough, it has to have that sense of underlying <coughs> depth. It has to be something more than our circumstances, because our circumstances, especially the way we look at them, and the way we receive them, you know, it's all kind of moving parts, and it's hard to know. Like, are, can I actually be rooted in Christ if my evaluation of enough is so shifting? You know? I think that this sense of enoughness has a lot to do with how we tell our stories. What language do we use about it? What lens do we see through? I think it, it is as simple as changing our mind about where enoughness is. But that's a hard thing to do. But I have stopped evaluating whether it is true. So when I get into, when I'm thinking about what is enough, I my instantly go to just in my normal thinking is like, okay, well, let me see. Is my belly full? Am I satisfied? Do I feel good about myself? That's where I go when I ask, is it enough? But I, I have decided 
that Jesus is enough. That's, what, that, that's essentially what I did when I became a Christian. And I'm trying to live into that as if that were true. Uh, I've stopped evaluating whether it's true and started scouting in every circumstance for how it is true. I decided it was true, and now I go looking for its truth. Skeptics give me a hard time about this because, you know, confirmation bias, etc. I could just be looking for it and finding it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. That is how it goes. And I think this is kind of basic. I think you understand this. I think even people that aren't following Jesus understand this. If you look for good, you will find it. And actually, our brains are kind of wired evolutionarily to look for bad because we got to be saved from the wildebeest or whatever. Um, but the benefits of living as if Jesus is enough outweigh the criticisms that I've received from the skeptics in my life. Okay, fine. Let me be a dummy that believes that Jesus is enough because it feels good. Um, Jesus puts it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When anytime Jesus is talking, I think that the way that we're, we're set up sometimes is to think and be tempted to default to um, your evaluation. You know, because this is how the, the church has kind of worked. And it kind of put Jesus up there as this pinnacle and you need, to, you need to measure up to Jesus. Not be filled to the measure with the fullness of God, but you need to measure up. You need to pour it in yourself somehow. It's twisted, but this is how we think, okay? And so you, you might be asking, am I healthy? or unhealthy, light or dark? Did I do it right or wrong? You know, re religion has corralled the conversation into moralism for too long for us to do anything else. So don't feel bad about it, okay? If you go to evaluation, that's fine. Notice it, but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing, especially not in the Sermon on the Mount. I think that most of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, which, is the, which are three chapters in Matthew, five, six, seven, this compilation of a lot of his wisdom, uh, at the end, it says the crowd was amazed because he spoke as one with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He didn't just interpret things. He spoke from his own experience, which wasn't really a very religious thing to do at the time and still isn't. But I hope that we can do it with him because I think he's just describing the way things are. The, lot, the lamp is the, the eye is the lamp of the body. Think about it. We project what's on the inside to the outside. We just do that. That's how we are. And, and, and you know, like, whether we, 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 we are trying to be objective or not, our perspective really matters in how we perceive. If you're dark on the inside, the world's going to look dark to you. And actually, ancient thinking about the physics of light make this a little bit more interesting. Let me just do a little side note here. They, when they were thinking about light, you know, they didn't know how it worked. And they thought that maybe beams shot out of your eyes, too. And it wasn't simple. Like, there was, there was light coming in, and there was light going out of your eyes. Until, the, until like, 1000 AD, there was still this notion amongst uh, respected scientists that believed 
that there were, there were light beams coming out of your eyes. <laughs> That's just how it worked. And so the physics of, of light in Jesus' day actually plays into this. He's actually making, like, uh, making a little commentary on you know, how light works even. You know? you're, you, you, you're looking out in the world and like, your eyes are flashlights. But if you're dark on the inside, you're, gonna, you're not going to put much light out. And you're not going to see much good. You're not going to be able to receive it either. Healthy, generous, abundant, enoughed eyes. Have enoughed eyes. Eyes that have been enoughed. You can see the world differently than the unhealthy, stingy, divided, never enough eyes. So you might, again, be tempted to, to be thinking, okay, I better get my eyes right. Better get my eyes right. Gotta look. Gotta be a good looker. I need to look good. Not, not when you're looking at me, but I need to like see well. Um, don't have bad eyes. But I think Jesus is just making an observation. There's a connection here. This, like, what's going on inside of you is what you project on the world. I think everyone agrees with that. And you can see the world as one generous place, healthy eyes. There's, there's enough to go around. You can make this decision. Or you can have unhealthy eyes that think, oh, there's not enough, and I need to get it all, and I need to protect what's mine, and I need to fight for it. That's what Jesus is kind of doing. And this little passage here in Matthew 6 um, is sandwiched between two other kind of just observations about how things work. Uh, he says... Uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The stuff you pay for is the stuff you're going to love. Just deal with it. That's how you are. That's why psychotherapists actually are circle counseling psychotherapists say, let me talk to the client about paying for it because they, ac they actually think that paying for your therapy is part of the therapeutic process. You need to invest in this process at least somewhat or it's not going to work. Where your, where your money is, there your heart is also. That's just how you work, okay? If you feel bad about that, stop, because it's who you are. It's, it's kind of how humans are. We put all this value on money, and so where we put our money changes our heart. And then the other side of this, this stuff about the eyes is uh, you, can't serve, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And this is another just kind of observation. It's not like, don't you serve money? It's like, no, you do. <laughs> you do serve money. It's, it, it's kind of how you are. Don't bend the knee to it, though. Don't make your whole life and your whole story about whether you have it or not, or whether you're going to get it, or how much value you have because of it. Because all that you do to master money will master you. And that's not... People, all kinds of self-help help, self -help people do this. Rich people that make gobs of money are actually trying to figure out how to have some purpose in their life, and, they're, and they're, they all say it. You can't take it with you. All this money isn't, you know, it's not going to be my master. I'll be a billionaire, fine, but I'm going to need to have some purpose, too. So Bill Gates is off, you know, getting rid of malaria in Africa because he, he needs to have purpose. The money, the money doesn't do it for him. So the solution, as I've said already, is simple but not easy. We must change our minds. We must trust Jesus to be enough as kind of the baseline. That's the root. That's the establishment of us. It's the foundation of who we are. Jesus' enoughness has to be the beginning of every story that we tell. 
we want to tell our stories in that light. So, in closing, let me tell you a story um, from July 16, 2005, the day that I got married to Gwyneth. Uh, it was a god awfully hot day, <laughs> so sweaty, and we got in the, the 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 fancy Episcopal church that we got married in was not air conditioned, so. I was just dripping sweat, trying to look pretty for pictures. Um, but all the pictures actually have like a, a curly Q hair of sweat just like dripping down my forehead. It's like, yo, photographer, tell me to comb my hair. Anyway. Um, we, we were trying to do it on the cheap, but the fancy thing we did was we got this reception at the Art Alliance of Philadelphia, which is on Rittenhouse Square, and it's an art gallery. Okay, we did everything else real, real cheap, but this is where we splurged. And we thought it was so cool, we were going to have it in an art gallery. And um, people could like walk around and, you know, eat crudite. That's a fancy word for vegetables. Um, and, and heavy hors d'oeuvres, this was the idea. And we, and, and, you know, what, we, we had it at like 2, the, the wedding was at 1.30. And then the, the reception was at like 2 o'clock, so we didn't have to like give anybody dinner. This is also how we're going to make it cheap. Um, and, but because we went to the Art Alliance, we had to go with their caterer. And we didn't like him at all. Uh, and on the day of, we didn't like him even more because he didn't do anything we said. We wanted little plates, little plates around the place. And people would just, you know, mingle around and look at art and, you know, and just eat. He had, like, one buffet line with these, like, giant plates, these, like, huge square plates. Like, this is not, this is not dainty. Gwyneth is, she's holding, actually, there's a picture we have of her holding this giant platter of a plate against her white dress trying to eat something. I think it was some kind of eggplant stacky thing. I don't know. It was stupid. The dude, okay, one, one last thing, because this is not how I usually tell the story, okay? I'm, I'm telling you how it really was, okay? Um, we also, he, he, he really wanted there to be a bar. He's like, What? There's no bar. No, we're not paying for all that alcohol. Our friends, no. It's the afternoon. They don't need all that alcohol, and I don't even want to support it anyway. So they also well, just do not have money. <laughs> yeah. We, and so, so you know, he said, well, well, you have to let me put up a cash bar. You have, to let, you have to let me have a cash bar. And I was like, okay, fine. People can pay for it if they want. But we're paying for lemonade for everyone to drink. He didn't give anybody any lemonade. <laughs> he made it. People were buying sodas for their babies. Because there, because the le he just wasn't. They, they, I don't know. He didn't have enough staff. I don't know what he's doing. People, my my friends, are buying lemonade or buying soda because they they're thirsty. It's hot. Okay. So on that day, I had a lovely time, but my friends were sitting on the floor drinking soda that they bought, uh, eating plates because there wasn't there wasn't even chairs for everyone to sit. You know, the, the venue wasn't big enough. It was a standing, it was a mingling, it was on two different floors. It didn't work at all. It was a great idea, horrible execution, and it was all this guy's fault. But you know what? I forgot that guy's name. I forgot his name, and I decided to forget his name. I decided, I said the day of, and Gwyneth was disputing this fact, but I said, as I remember it, <laughs> I said the day of, this is not how this story is gonna go. I'm writing this man out of the story. As mad as we are right now, 
for what we paid for and we didn't even want to pay for, but he made us pay for and then didn't give us what we wanted. I'm going to say it was a beautiful time. And it was. There were tons of beautiful things. The art was cool. There was this weird video installation with sound, ambient noise in one room. No one went in there, but it was amazing because it was just too weird. There was lots of cool things. There was a beautiful stained glass window where our cake was, and I carried Gwyneth down this giant staircase with bubbles going everywhere. It was, it was fantastic. It was a beautiful day. And that's how I'm going to, to choose to remember this story. I have to remember all the good. Because I know people that know that guy's name. And you know, you know the stories in your life where you know somebody's name that you should have forgotten. And I'm sorry I just said should. But, the, but this is the switch that, that I'm encouraging you to do. When you're telling your story, you don't have to remember that guy's name. You just really don't. And 13 years later, I really have forgotten it. I think his first name was David. So you, 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 you forgot it too! I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm spreading, I'm spreading this, this, this vision. My eyes are spotlights. Okay? <laughs> and, and I'm inviting you into that, okay? This is one, one success. Took me 13 years to get there. Um, but, you know, quick kind of rebuttal. And Gwyneth and I were debating about this, too. Um, why is this not just denial? Why are you not just like, a, is this just the power of positive thinking and you're just not telling the truth? And, you know, honestly, the answer is, yeah, it's all that. It is that. And so that you're going to have to discern. There are some things that you're going to need to deal with, and you're going to need to talk to someone about. And there's another path towards the light, and it's reconciliation and forgiveness, and you're going to have to deal with some of the crap. You can't just forget about it. So I want to acknowledge that. But I think a step towards these generous, healthy eyes that Jesus is calling us to in Matthew 6 is that kind of storytelling. And you can decide right now. A story that you've been that you've been telling for a long time, you might need to tell it new. You don't have to tell it the same way. And I'm not committed to the truth of, of every detail, because your your memory already doesn't do that, y'all. You're already creating something. It's actually like if you look at the science of memory, like you're actually totally inventing it every time you tell the story. You know, you're you're, you're drawing on these these like images and sensations, and you're recreating it. There is no story of your life. It's actually all in here making you who you are all the time. And I think choosing to tell the stories in these ways is, is a way to um, express the enoughness and, and, it, and it's a way to flex those muscles, you know. Uh, and um, be rooted because there's lots of things that are going to happen and you're going to want to tell the story of even what happened this week. And I'm encouraging you to see the details that you might be missing so that you can experience that love because it's happening now. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.